Last week, Sunday's sermon, it was encouraging, wasn't it? Last week's Sunday's sermon was encouraging to me because I was reminded that we are no longer, as Christians, we are no longer slaves of sin, but we are slaves of righteousness. We learned last week that one sin can enslave us to sin, and one sin can bring some form of death in our lives, but we also learned the good news that because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have the power now to choose to obey, that we have the choice to be obedient people, that one choice of obedience can overcome all the disobedience because of the power of what Jesus did on the cross. We have now the power to choose to obey. But as I thought about last Sunday, this past week, I began to wonder and think about how many of you continued to struggle with sin this past week. Maybe you're like the person that Jim mentioned last week who struggles with lust. Maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe you struggle with keeping a promise that you made to God. Maybe there's another struggle in your life. Maybe you struggle with gossip. You struggle with slander. Maybe you struggle with substance abuse. Maybe you struggle spending time with God. Maybe you struggle hearing from God. These struggles and many other struggles are represented in this room right now. And sometimes it just seems so easy to just choose to obey. I just choose to obey and everything will be okay. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. And if I just make the choice to obey, then everything will be fine. All my obedience will overcome my disobedience. So I imagine that some of you went home this past week and, and maybe you took out your Bibles and you were, you were looking for the rule that would help you choose to obey. And you picked up your Bible and maybe you found the commandment not to murder. Or you found the thought not to even think about murdering somebody. Or do not be angry. Or do not gossip. Or do not slander. Or spend time with God. Or listen to the Lord your God. Or maybe some of you even went home and made your own rules. If you're struggling with lust, maybe you went home and you put an internet guard on your computer. Or maybe you'd made a decision with your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you weren't going to spend time alone in a, in, a, in a private, dark place. Or if you're struggling with anger, maybe you decided to join a behavioral management program. Or if you're not here quite clearly hearing from God, maybe you found a top 10 list of the best ways to hear from God. And you put a rule in place that would help you choose to obey. Some rule or some law that would help you in this way. But now you're here this morning and not much has changed. You're still struggling with sin. The sin that you were experiencing last week seems to be still present in your life. And you went and you made all the rules and you followed the rules. And you thought that if you were able to make a rule or follow the rules that were in the Bible, everything would be okay and your struggle with sin would be gone. If I just follow the rules if I just read the right law and apply it in my life, then everything will be okay. 
The problem is, it doesn't work that way. We think in our minds that if we just make a rule or follow a law, that everything in our life will go well, that our problems will go away, and that our struggle with sin will be over. The problem is, it doesn't work that way. So if you would, would you take your Bible and would you turn to Romans chapter 7? Romans chapter 7. If you picked up a Bible on your way in this morning, it's found on page 915. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul is going to explain why it doesn't work that way. Remember, back in Romans chapter 6, we learned that we have died to sin and we're no longer slaves of sin. We're now slaves of righteousness because of what Christ has done on the cross. We have died to sin because we are now united with Christ. We have union with Jesus Christ, so we have died to sin. Now here in Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us that not only have we died to sin, now we have died to the law. Romans chapter 6 died to sin. Romans chapter 7 died to the law. In Romans chapter 7, Paul explains that the law cannot free us from our struggle with sin because it doesn't work that way. That's not what the law is meant to do. Now this morning, I'd like you to keep in mind that this topic, the believer's relationship to God's law, is one of the most confusing and difficult theological topics in all of the Bible. But this morning, we want to dig into Romans chapter 7 to understand why this topic is so important to living our life in Christ and living by the power of the Holy Spirit, which we are going to look at in two weeks when we look at chapter 8 of Romans. But here this morning in Romans chapter 7, we're going to see, to help us understand our relationship with the law, Paul breaks Romans chapter 7 down into three sections. The first section that Paul addresses is the fact that we have died to the law. The second section that Paul addresses in Romans 7 explains how the law works. And the third section of Romans 7 explains how the law feels. Now let's look at the first section. The first section is found in verses 1 through 6. And Paul, in verses 1 through 6, shares the necessity of us, having, of us being freed from the law. He recognizes and he tells us that we need to be freed from the law in order to address the problem of sin in our lives. We cannot handle the problem of sin in our lives if we have the law hanging over our heads all the time. Now we get this. We kind of sense this. Every one of us as Christians, every Christian likes to hear that they are united with Jesus Christ, that we identify with Jesus Christ, that we have union with Jesus Christ. And because we are united with him, because we have union with him, we now are able to experience his life and his power. Every one of us as Christians loves to hear that. The problem is our experience tells us that we still have a problem. We still sin. And when we do, when we do sin, we experience enslavement. We experience pain. We experience hurt. And we experience some form of death in our lives. We all struggle with sin. And the law just seems to make it worse. 
we still haven't figured out how to handle the law. We tend to think, we tend to think that rules are the answer. We like to put rules in place that we think will help us control our sin. We like to put ideas or concepts in place that put boundaries around us that we think will help us with the problems that we have. We think that rules are the answer, that the law will free us from sin. We put internet controls on our computer. We join behavioral modification programs. We look at top 10 lists. Now, these things are helpful, but in the end, they don't actually, they don't actually help us deal with our problem with sin. They don't solve the problem. Even with the best intentions, it still doesn't work. That is what Paul is dealing with here in Romans chapter 7. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Paul is going to tell us that living under the law does not free us from sin's control. Verse 1, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Now, Paul begins this chapter with an illustration. It's the illustration of the relationship between a husband and a wife, and it's an illustration that Paul uses to prove his point. And when we look and understand the purpose of the illustration, it's easy to understand the illustration is what the illustration is trying to say. When a person is married, they are bound by contract to their spouse. When one of the spouses dies, they are no longer bound to that spouse by contract, so they are free to remarry. That is the point that Paul is trying to make in this illustration. He is trying and he is speaking of our relationship to the law. When one spouse bound to another spouse, when one of those spouses dies, the marriage contract is no longer in place. This is the illustration that Paul is using to help us understand our relationship to the law. But before we look further at our relationship to the law, we have to make sure that we understand what Paul is talking about when he references the law. When Paul references the law, he's referring to a standard of conduct or a standard of behavior that we are expected to follow. The law is a standard of conduct that we are expected to live up to. The most obvious and perfect illustration of law, of a standard of conduct of the law, is the Ten Commandments. You know the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are as follows. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a standard of conduct. 
They are a standard of behavior. This is the law that Paul is talking about here. It is the law that was revealed to the Jewish people, and the Ten Commandments are a summary of the law of God. But there's more than the Ten Commandments. There's more than a written code. Now think about this. We all have a conscience, a moral compass, if you will. It's this inner understanding that we have of right and wrong. Everybody has an inner understanding of right and wrong. Think about it. If you come up upon somebody, if you're listening to conversation about people talking about their experience in relationships, you may come across somebody who says, that isn't fair. That isn't fair what they did to me. Well, who is to determine what is fair or what is not fair? There's an inner compass. There's an inner understanding. You see, these two people are having a conversation, and without even explicitly stating what the law is, there is an understanding in their hearts of what is right and what is wrong. All of us have this internal moral compass, and that too is the law of God. It is the law of God that is written on your heart and that is written on my heart. So we have the written code, which is summarized in the Ten Commandments. We also have an internal code that God has written upon our hearts. Now back to our relationship with the law and to the really good news. Look at verses 4 through 6. So my brothers and sisters... You also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Now, these are fantastic verses, and as I said, they're a little bit confusing and somewhat complicated, but look at verse 4. So you also died to the law through the body of Christ. Verse 6, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Verse 4 tells us we died to the law. We have been released from the law. Just like Paul's illustration of the wife who was released from the marriage contract when her husband dies. Now, we don't know if the wife felt good about this or if the wife felt badly about this. But that's not the point for us. It's a simple illustration to explain our relationship to the law. And it is good news for each of us. But even more than that, this good news is that we have been released from the law. We have died to the law through our identification with Jesus. Our union with Jesus means that when Jesus died on the cross, we died on the cross with him. And when he died on the cross, he released us because we were with him. He released us from the law. So we are no longer under the law. But even more and better, look at verse 6. We have been released from the law. Why? So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. We have died to the law. Now we can live in the Spirit. 
We're no longer under the law. Now as Christians, we can experience life in the Spirit. And in two weeks, when we are in Romans chapter 8, we are going to explore how and what, how it is that we can live life in the Spirit and what it looks like to live life in the Spirit. But here, the first point in Romans 7, this first section, is that we learn that we have died to the law, which means that we are released from the burden and the condemnation of the law. We are bound to Christ. We identify with him. We have union with him, which means we no longer live under the law and its burden and its condemnation. You see, because the law places a heavy yoke around our neck and wears us down. Down. And each one of us realize this. You know when you try to set a rule or you try to follow a law of God and you do not succeed, how do you feel? Like there is an unbearable weight around your neck. But Paul says, because we are united with Christ, because we have union with him, we have been freed from the law. We've been freed from its burden. We've been freed from its condemnation. God no longer looks at us as angry. He is looking, yes, we make mistakes. We make bad choices. But God no longer looks at us as being under the law. He now looks at us with grace, with his unmerited favor. And all we have to do is ask for forgiveness, and he provides forgiveness, and the burden is gone. Because we have died to the law, and we are released from its burden and its condemnation. Now, this seems like really good news. We are united with Jesus Christ. It means we have died to the law. It also, remember, it meant in chapter 6 that we have died to sin. So we've died to sin. We've now died to the law. But now the question becomes, what about the law? What happens to the law? Is the law sinful? What's the purpose for the law? So in the second section of Romans 7, Paul explains to you and to me how the law really works. Paul explains how the law works, and we are going to see three purposes for the law. Now, as I read, see if you can identify them. And if you can, it's really not a big deal because I'm going to explain them to you anyway. Three purposes for the law. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good 
to bring about my death so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Now that is all a big mouthful. And it is confusing. But let's break it down because there are three purposes for the law that Paul identifies here. The first purpose of the law is found in verse 7. In verse 7, we see that the law reveals sin. Look at what Paul says. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. The law reveals sin. Now, this is important for two reasons. The first reason it's important is that none of us actually think of ourselves as sinners. Really, when we think about it, we tend to think that we're okay. I'm okay. You think you're okay. We look around. We're okay. Everybody's okay. Until you introduce the law. And when you introduce the law, you realize that we're not so okay. The second thing that the law does is it helps us understand that our sins are against God. You see, our tendency is when we actually admit doing something wrong, we tend to think to ourselves, oh, I just made a mistake. Or, oh, I just couldn't help myself. Well, what the law does is the law points out that our sin is actually against God. In talking about how he discovered his own sin, Paul highlights the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. Now, the first nine commandments can be obeyed outwardly. But the 10th commandment is clearly inward. It's clearly something that happens in our hearts and happens in our minds. It's coveting. It has to do with loving something that others have, wanting something that someone else has, and resenting someone because they have more than you may have. Paul says that the law finally made it clear to him what was inside of him, sin. And it also made clear that that sin was not just a mistake. It was not just something he couldn't help doing. It was a sin against God. The law reveals sin. The second purpose of the law is that it intensifies sin. It intensifies sin. Now, you would think that the law would limit sin or it would check sin. It doesn't. It actually triggers sin. Okay, think about this. You come upon a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch. <laughs> what do you do? You touch that paint. Now, maybe all of you don't touch that paint, but I'll tell you, when I see a sign that says wet paint, it's like I can't even help myself. Bam, is it really wet? Oh, I... How about you come up on a sign that says, do not walk on the grass? What do you do? You walk on the grass. How about on the highway? You see a sign that says speed limit, 55 miles an hour. There is nobody going 55 miles an hour. <laughs> Touch, walk, drive 80 miles an hour. It's because inside our nature, in each one of us, that sinful nature causes us and calls us to rebel against the law. The sin 
the, the law also intensifies our sin in that it, help, it causes us to do things we never even thought about doing. This past week, I came across a story of a hotel down in the panhandle of Florida. The hotel had, had balconies that were close to the water. And on the balcony, they had a sign. And the sign said, do not fish from the balcony. Well, what do you think people did? They fished from the balcony. Now, I know there's some of you that are fisher people in here, but most people would not fish from the balcony. They wouldn't even think about fishing from the balcony until you put a sign up that says, do not fish from the balcony. The law put the thought in the person's mind. So the hotel wanted to get rid of the problem of all these people fishing from the balconies. So somebody came up with the brilliant idea, let's just remove the signs. The hotel removed the sign, and guess what? Their problem was over. People stopped fishing from the balcony. See, not only does the law reveal sin, the law intensifies sin, and it triggers sin. The third purpose of the law is it brings us to an end of ourselves. The law brings us to an end of ourselves. Paul tells us that the law produced death. Look at verse 13. Did that which is good, he's talking about the law, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. The law produces death. It's an unbearable burden that ultimately condemns each one of us. You see, the Jews believed that the law would deliver them from sin. That if they followed the law, the law would provide them salvation. That the law would deal and handle the struggle that they had with sin. And that's not much different than many people today. Some people believe that if I'm just good enough, if I just do the right things, then God will be pleased with me, God will accept me, and it, he will then, through my obedience to the law, I will then be able to deal with the sin in my life. It didn't work that way then, and it doesn't work that way now. The law never pat you on the back for doing something right. The law never says thank you for doing something right. The law is there to point out that you have done something wrong. The law is there as a burden, as a yoke. It is there to condemn you. The law is that great weight that we wear around that says to us, you are nothing but a failure because you cannot live up to the standard that I present. The law is a burden and the law condemns you and the law condemns me. And as I said earlier, each one of us understand this. We know the feeling. We know the feeling when we make a mistake. We know the feeling when we sin. We know that that sin is against God. And the law always points out our failure. It condemns. 
and then its effect is to discourage, and then it presents a sense of defeat, and ultimately a sense of despair. The law brings hopelessness and death. The apostle Peter understood this. At the Council of Jerusalem, there were a number of people who wanted the new Gentile Christians to have to follow the Old Testament law. And in Acts 15, Paul, Peter presents the argument against this. Look at what is written about what Peter says. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? The law reveals sin. The law intensifies sin. And the law ultimately is such a burden, is such a condemning force that it brings us to an end of ourselves. So now, even though we understand, this is what is interesting about the law, even though we understand that we have died to the law, even though we know that the law has limited purpose, its purpose is to reveal sin, its purpose is to intensify sin, its purpose is to bring us to an end to, of ourselves, even though we know these things, we still at times try to live under the law. And in the third section of Romans 7, Paul shares with us what it feels like to live under the law. And in these verses, most of us find our own experience. Beginning in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This, is, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? We all understand these feelings, don't we? I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. We understand where Paul is coming from. We understand these feelings. Now, there is a debate in theological circles about the person who Paul is talking about here. There's some theologians that believe Paul is talking about himself prior to becoming a Christian. 
There's other theologians who believe that Paul is talking about himself at a time when he's not living fully for Christ. When he, some people call it when he's living as a carnal Christian. I believe, I believe that Paul is talking about a present experience when he is living under the law. This is my best read of this because of the use of the personal pronouns. Paul uses personal pronouns here, and he uses those personal pronouns in the present tense. But maybe the most compelling reason that this is a present experience of Paul is because it can describe my experience. And I'm sure it can describe your experience. Paul wants us to understand that even though we have died to the law, even though sin has no power over us, he understands that there is a battle raging inside between good and between evil. He understands that there is a struggle with sin. Remember those cartoons when a person was facing a dilemma and on one shoulder there was a little angel and on the other shoulder there was a devil? And the angel is whispering into the ear of the person in the dilemma and saying, do what I want you to do. And on the other shoulder, the devil is whispering into the person's ear and saying, do what I want you to do. This is the struggle that Paul is referencing here between good and between evil. And we understand, we know, we want to do good. We want to do what's right. We're learning and we're growing and following Jesus Christ. We understand the union. We understand the grace that God gives to us and we are starting to live a life trusting more and more and more in him. But on the other side, there's that little devil that's whispering in our ear and saying, no, that's not going to work. Have you ever tried to make a change? Have you ever tried to stop lusting? Have you ever tried to stop being angry? Have you ever tried to keep your promises to God? There is a struggle between good and evil. There is a struggle when we live under the law, and that is what Paul is explaining here. He's telling us how he feels, and he is sharing with us how he feels, knowing how we feel. Paul gets it, and so do we. He is simply describing what a Christian feels like when they try to live under the law. When we as Christians, by our own determination, by our own dedication, by our own perseverance, by our own willpower, choose and try to do things right, we are living under the law. And Paul says all that is going to bring is condemnation and frustration because that's not how the law works. And what happens is, is Paul finds himself at the end of himself. Look at verse 24. Look what he writes. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who? 
The law cannot make you stop lusting. The law cannot keep you from being angry. The law cannot make you keep your promise. The law cannot keep you from gossiping. The law cannot keep you from slandering. The law cannot keep you from abusing substances. The law cannot make you spend time with God. The law cannot make you listen to God. The law cannot do these things. So Paul asks the question, who? Who can do these things? Look at verse 25. It gives us the answer. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the good news. This is the gospel. What the law cannot do, Jesus Christ can do. Because, yes, because he died on a cross and you are united with him in his death, you have died to sin, and now you have died to the law. The law no longer condemns you. The law no longer should be a frustration for you. The law is no longer the means in which you are able to deal with the sin in your life. The law has limitations. It only reveals sin. It only intensifies sin. It only brings us to an end of ourselves. You don't have to walk around any longer saying, no, no, woe is me, I'm a poor, helpless person. I can never come over, overcome these struggles. No! You are united with Jesus Christ. You and Jesus Christ are one. You bear his name. You have his life and his power. That means you say, yes, I can. In the power of Jesus Christ, I can say no, and I can live a life that is free. Amen. Jesus Christ, because you are united with him, will help you in your struggle with sin because now you are no longer under the law. You are now walking in the Spirit. And in two weeks, we are going to see what it means to walk in the Spirit. But here's the one last thing I want to leave you with. Remember this until we get there. It is not a formula. Write it down in your notes. Etch it into your minds. It is not a formula. It is a person. It is a person who wants a personal relationship with you. The answer to all of our struggles with sin, to the condemnation that sin brings, to the frustration that sin brings, to the death that sin brings, the answer is the person of Jesus Christ who empowers you and enables you and causes you to live in and through the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen.